Well, good, let's say, afternoon or good morning. Uh, welcome to Blueprint Church. Uh, my name is Carly Lundy, and I get the privilege of serving as the pastor here. And, um, and we're glad that you have decided to make Blueprint the place to worship today. And so we hope today uh, that you would be blessed, uh, not just through our time of worshiping together, but you would be blessed during our time of sitting under God's word in a community. And so before we start, um, there's three questions. And so uh, if you're new to Blueprint um, or if you're new uh, today uh, with the series that we're doing, um, we want to create a space for us to one, uh, sit around a table and to get to know each other, uh, but not just that, but use those times to kind of dialogue, right? Um, and so in the beginning of every sermon for the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a time where we have those moments where we uh, discuss some things. And so there are three questions we're going to put on the board, and really you have like speed round, like five minutes to go through those three questions. And so, um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to give you an opportunity to share some of the things that you discuss around your tables. Um, so one, if you were to invite your friend, coworker, or family member to church, would they come with you? Why or why not? Um, the second question is a little similar. If you were to invite someone of a different faith or a different lifestyle to come to church with you, would they come with you? Why or why not? And then the last question, if you were to invite someone, uh, no, wait, wait, wait. Next, the next one. Is there another one? That's it? Just the two? Oh, I'm sorry, my eyes are not bad. All right, you have the questions right there. And so... <laughs> I'll give, you guys, I'll give you guys a couple minutes. If you can kind of like circle those questions uh, throughout so that we can be reminded of what those questions are. So ready, set, go. Take some time, discuss that around your tables, and then we'll come back. All right, time, time. All right, let's get back. All right, so I hope you guys had some good discussion around your tables. So who wants to be brave enough to represent your tables with the first question? If you were to invite someone to church with you, um, would they come? Would they come? Why or why not? All right, go ahead. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Man, can we pray for your dad? Is that okay? Yeah. Michael? Well, Lord, quickly, we just want to pray over Michael. Um, thank you for sharing such a, an amazing testimony, uh, our sister sharing this testimony of her dad witnessing and seeing the faith that she uh, demonstrate. And because of that, uh, he desires to have her faith. And I pray 
that you don't let the enemy, you don't allow the enemy to steal right now the fire that is in his heart to even want to be a part of church or start coming to church and to eventually come to know who you are, Jesus. So thank you for that testimony. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. All right. Anyone else? All right. That's good. 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 Anyone else? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Nah, thank you for sharing. That's sharing. All right, let's quickly go to the next one. What about if you were to invite someone of a different faith, a different religion, or a different lifestyle? Would they come with you? It's a little different, right? A friend, but then someone who share a different lifestyle or a different faith. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Nah, thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Yep. I think on like two fronts with that, you know, you have one that especially when different faiths and lifestyles, giving them an opportunity not necessarily go into the mission of, you know, come learn about the faith, but learn what makes me who I am. Mm. That's good. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. One more. good all right so the last one right so what are some of the risks right so we talk about hospitality right inviting people into your home but then opening up your home what are some benefits and then also what are some of the risks Loving point of view because mm. you know a lot of times in the world um, there's 
the conception of preaching conversion that Christians are just against so many things. Mm. So we mm. take that opportunity to just show them love and, and acceptance mm. and um, you know, to show them yeah, show them love and acceptance. Um, but a risk with that, you know, because sometimes when you have different people from different lifestyles mm. hanging out with them too much, you know, we're human, we can be influenced mm. a little bit. So I think before someone from a different lifestyle may come over, it's important to really pray beforehand yeah. so yeah. that you can begin that moment with that foundation, just remembering who you are, because yeah, you want to hang out and be accepting, but you still have to remember who you are. So yeah. No, that's good. Uh, praying and seeking the Lord. It's good. All right. Yeah, one more. So I think the, the benefit to having them in a space where they may be you know, associated with, like, from their perspective, a lot of risks. If you come to church, I don't know anybody here, are they going to be judgmental? Are they going to say something that's going to upset me? Bringing somebody into their home maybe like, mitigates that risk for them. So that's mm. the benefit. If they come into my house, it's going to be messy, it's going to be whatever, but it's not going to be like this place, or, like this church maybe makes people Yeah. Uh, I think the risk is that you then have to have those conversations with them in an intimate environment. There's no, well, let me go talk to this pastor over here and actually tell you about what we believe. They may ask you something right in your face, and you kind of have to be that good example and be prepared yeah. to give them the truth. Yeah. Um, and that is a risky thing to be able to do. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Man, you guys are more spiritual than I am. I was thinking about other risk. Uh, so. <laughs> So it's funny, uh, I, this is what I was thinking about. My wife and I, we, we had just got married, I think. Um, and so we drove somewhere and then we found this couple. This couple was like, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was this couple and I think they just got kicked out of their apartment and they were like, man, we just need somewhere to stay just for a night, right? And so I looked at my wife and I'm like, oh, should we, should we? And we were like, oh man, like, I think they had a baby, I don't remember, or pregnant, I, I can't remember. And so we felt bad. We we're like, oh man, let's, we have a spare room, let's bring them to the house so they can stay. And so we we're like, okay, let's invite them to our house and stay. So we put them in that spare room. Before we went to bed, I grabbed a butcher knife and I put it right underneath my pillow. <laughs> And I was like, listen, I'm ready. I mean, I love the fact that we can show hospitality. But man, I don't know. Because I watched too many movies, right? And so I'm like, uh, I love to show hospitality, but man, I also want to protect my family. Right? And so, so those, those are some risks that you legitimately have to think about. Because sometimes when you invite people in your life, like, you just never know, like, what harm that could bring. Uh, but then at, at the same time, there are great benefits. Um, I hope I never have to think about that again. Um, but let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we could dive in. Father, we thank you so much, so much for today. Um, and so it's such a joy to be around family and just to uh, discuss and hear each other's thoughts and, and mind. So it's not just a time where one person or a group of people come and speak, but Lord, we want to invite others to speak into our lives. So thank you for moments like these. Uh, and so, Lord, I ask that you would bless our time as we talk about biblical hospitality to see how you are um, the greatest example of what it means to be hospitable. Thank you for this time, and we pray in your name. Amen. All right, all right. Well, 
today, um, well, last week, uh, first, we, we started this new series. If you are new to Blueprint, we started this new series called Make Room. And this series is on the study of biblical hospitality. And so during the holiday season, right, um, and which is crazy that we are already at the end of the year. Um, I feel like we just started the year and now we're like towards the end. But uh, during this holiday season, uh, many of us are going to be spending time with people. Uh, We're going to be spending time with our families, with our friends inviting people into our homes, creating these uh, uh, hospitable spaces. Uh, Maybe you're going to be going to dinner parties with your coworkers, uh, or maybe you're going to be spending time, a lot of time with people that you don't normally spend time with. And so um, as you spend time with people and you create these hospitable environment and you invite people to share in meals or share in conversations or just being together, we want this series to help you think very intentionally about how you are inviting people into your space, how you are inviting people into your uh, time to create those hospitable environments. And not just for the holidays, but making hospitality a lifestyle. And so the hospitality that we're talking about and that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks Um, is not just about inviting people into our homes, right? It's not just about um, inviting people into our spaces, but it's about inviting people into our lives, right? Making room to invite people into our lives to know Jesus. And now I'm pretty sure some of you guys are probably thinking, why would I want to do that, right? Why would I want to invite people into my life, because some of us probably don't like people, right? Some of us probably don't like people, or maybe some of us have social anxiety. When we get around a large group of people, it kind of makes us nervous. Uh, Some of us are probably introverts, or some of us are probably private people, or maybe some of us have had past experiences where we've been hurt, And we are afraid to be vulnerable. And so a series on hospitality could be very uncomfortable, right? Last week, I remember just sitting in the back and just watching you as you come in and you came and you looked at the door and you're like, what is happening here, right? And I watch how people would walk through the aisles to look for a seat nervous, right? Like I have to sit around people, around tables with people I don't know. Right. And I could see how some of you would pull the chair and then just kind of like ask, hey, is it okay if I sit here? Right. And then the person who's sitting at that table is looking at you like, why do you want to sit with me? You know? Uh, And so hospitality, like showing, being around people could be very uncomfortable. And so hospitality and showing hospitality, not just the person who's showing hospitality, but even the person who's receiving hospitality, that could be very uncomfortable for them. And so making room or even making room in our physical spaces could be very challenging. But for some of us, listen, inviting people into your house may not be a challenge. Like some of you probably love to do that, right? But inviting people into our lives, inviting people into those private spaces, inviting people beyond the superficial, right? Inviting people to go beyond our walls and beyond our boundaries 
could be very challenging, right? Some of us are very selective about the type of people or the people that we invite beyond our walls and beyond our boundaries. We're very selective about the people that we go deep with, right? So that is the difference between our culture's definition of hospitality and our biblical or the biblical definition of hospitality. So biblical definition, the biblical definition of hospitality is not just about being kind. It's not just about being generous. It's not just about being polite, saying yes, sir, or no, sir. It's not just about respecting other people. It's not just about being the spiritual Martha Stewart who knows how to cook a good meal to invite people in. Right. So biblical hospitality is not just about being nice, although as Christians, we need to be some of the nicest people. Right. As Christians, we need to be some of the nicest people at our jobs. We need to be some of the nicest people in our families, in our community. As Christians, we should be known for our generosity and our kindness. But the goal of biblical hospitality is more than that. Because biblical hospitality goes beyond just being nice, but it's a practice of inviting people into our lives to experience the goodness of God found in Jesus. And so what we aim to do is create a space for people to see and experience Jesus in our everyday life. And so in other words, biblical hospitality is a living expression of our faith, right? So it's not just a faith that is all talk, but it's a faith that has action, that demonstrate God's love through our action. And so earlier I asked if someone, if you invited someone to come to church with you or someone of a different faith to come with you, would they come to church with you? Um, In reality, uh, most people would not right? Most people would probably not come to church with you. And it's not personal, and I hope it's not, (laughs) right? But most people would probably, listen, most people would probably come to your house before they come to your church. Most people would probably come to your house before they come to your church. Honestly, one of the most effective ways to share your faith, one of the most effective ways to share Jesus the love of Jesus with a friend, a family member, or an unbeliever, or someone of a different faith, is not to bring them to your church building. It's not to bring them here, but it's to bring them into a relationship with you. It's to go beyond these four walls, right? So they can see how you live out your faith, not just on Sunday, but so they can see how you live out your faith every single day with your family, with your friends, in your living room, in your dining room, right? And so most people would want to see your faith live out. Those life-on-life experiences with you will have more of an impact on their life than bringing them to a church building like this. And so this is why I love the passage that we're about to study in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. If you have a pen and paper, I want you to take that out because we're going to be taking some notes. 
Um, and so this story is about a man who used his home, his personal space to bring people to Jesus. And so this man received an incredible extreme hospitality from Jesus that radically changed his life. And this hospitality compelled him to extend the same kindness and the same love and the same grace, the same hospitality to his friends to meet Jesus and to have a life-changing encounter. And so this radical hospitality changed someone's life and that person that person demonstrated that same hospitality to his friends to bring about a life change in their life. And so in verse 27, again, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the amazing hospitality shown to Levi. The amazing hospitality shown to Levi. And so this verse says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax office. And he said to Levi, follow me. And so Levi, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. And so chapter five opens up with introducing Levi. And so Levi was one of Jesus's original 12 disciples. And the Bible also calls Levi Matthew, the same Matthew who wrote the first book in the New Testament. And so Levi and Matthew are the same people. And those names, and back, back, back in, the, uh, in those days, usually people would have two names, one a Hebrew name and, and the other a Greek name. And so Levi and Matthew are the same people. And so before we get to Levi, we meet Levi in verse 27. Chapter 5, the author gives us this account of all these great work that Jesus was walking around doing. Right. And so Jesus was walking around. This is early in his ministry. He was walking around from town to town doing some great work, miracles, healing people and meeting their physical needs. And so the first miracle that we see in verses one through 11 is uh, Jesus fills up this boat with fish. Right. And so a group of fishermen were fishing all night. And. After fishing all night, they failed to catch any fish. And then Jesus comes and he meets them. And this is a, a hilarious story when you actually read it. Right? These guys are ready to go home. They're packing up their stuff. They're cleaning their equipment. They're pulling out their nets. And then Jesus comes and he steps into their boat. Doesn't even ask them. He just steps into their boat. And then he's like, hey, guys, I need to preach. Can I use your boat? And he gets into their boat and then he starts preaching. And these guys are like, I'm trying to go home, <laughs> Right? And so Jesus preaches. And then after he's done, he's like, hey, guys, let's go fishing. And I'm sure these guys are like, dude, like, I'm done. I'm trying to get home, right? And so Jesus says, let's go fishing. And they go out to fish. And then so as they're fishing, Jesus is trying to tell them what to do. And then he tells them, listen, cast your nets. Cast your nets again. And I'm sure they were very reluctant, very tired, very frustrated. And then they follow Jesus, and they do that. And then they catch so many fish that their net started to break open. And then they couldn't even pull it into their boat. They finally do pull it up into their boat. So they caught so many fish that their boat started to sink. And Jesus says to them, listen, if you follow me, the same way that you catch fish, 
you will be catching men. If you follow me, you will be fishers of men. Meaning the same way that you're bringing these fish into your boat, you would be bringing people into a relationship with God. You would be bringing these people into the kingdom of God. And so we see how Jesus invite these men to be on mission with him. And then we see the second miracle in verses 12 to 16, how Jesus heals this person of leprosy, right? And this man had this contagious disease, and this disease kept this man from community. And so he was an outsider. No one wanted to come near to this guy. No one wanted to physically touch him. And not only was this man extremely sick, we see how this man had never had someone to give him any type of physical affection, to hug him, to touch him. And so he was extremely sick and then extremely lonely. And so Jesus sees this guy, and then he comes near to him. He doesn't just heal him from a distance, but he comes near to him, and he touches him. And then he told this guy, right, you are healed, and you are no longer an outsider, and now you can go back into community, right? He meets this guy's physical needs, but then also he welcomes this guy who is an outcast, an outsider, back into community, right? So this was an invitation to belong. And now the third miracle we see, Jesus goes and he heals this man who was paralyzed in verses 17 through 26. And so Jesus was in a home and he was preaching and people had heard about all the work that he was doing. And a crowd of people surrounded this house and so much so that they blocked the door for anyone to be able to come in. And so now you had this group of people, um, a, a, a group of friends who was carrying this friend of theirs who was paralyzed. And so they heard about the work that Jesus was doing and healing people, and they wanted to get their friend to Jesus. And so they get to the house, they couldn't get in, and so they decided, how about we climb up the roof? And so they climb up to the roof of the house, and listen, they cut the roof open. I want you to imagine if you were the homeowner. <laughs> right? Like, yo, what is happening? So they cut the roof of the house open and they just start dropping and lowering the guy before Jesus, interrupting Jesus as he was teaching. And so they dropped this man to Jesus and Jesus saw how far these men were willing to go to help their friend connect with him. And so this above and beyond compassion of their friend was met with this above and beyond grace from God. And so Jesus heals this man. So we see these three miracles, and all of these miracles had this incredible theme of hospitality from Jesus. We see how Jesus invited people to mission, to be on mission with him. We see how Jesus invited people to be a part of community, those who are outsiders, and then we see how Jesus invited people to have their physical needs met. And so now we get to verse 27, the story of Levi, and you wonder, like, how does this fit in the incredible miracles and the incredible work that Jesus was doing, right? How does this fit in this account of miracles, that Jesus was doing, this life and this interaction with 
Levi. And so verse 27 says, as Jesus was passing by, he saw Levi, a tax collector, sitting at the tax office or tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so the author says that Jesus was passing by and Jesus was on his way to a particular destination. He was on his way to fulfilling a particular task or he had an agenda and Levi was not on his agenda because he was passing by. And as he was passing by, he encountered Levi and he slowed down to engage with Levi. He slowed down to acknowledge Levi. The Bible said he slowed down and he saw Levi. Jesus slowed down for Levi. And the Bible says he saw Levi. He didn't see Levi as an interruption, right? He saw Levi as someone divinely placed on his path to engage with. And some of us need to slow down like this. Slow down to engage with the people that God has placed in our lives and not see them as an interruption, right? Those people that God placed in your life, maybe your friend, your coworker, your family members, they matter. Slow down. They matter to God and they matter, they should matter to you. And listen, oftentimes we don't think about those people and how valuable they are. We don't like to slow down to engage with people because we don't think they really matter and our plans are more significant than them. Slow down. We're too busy. Oftentimes, we, we're too busy to create space and time in our lives for genuine connection with people, to acknowledge them, to tell them that they matter, right? Especially slowing down for people that we don't think deserve our time, right? I'm sure you could think about people right now. You're like, you know what? No, you don't deserve my time, right? We don't like to create space or slow down for those people that we think don't deserve our time. And again, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, hospitality is about slowing down to engage with people, to see them where they are, and to let them know they matter. They matter. Slow down. And now, listen, out of all the people in the society, Levi was someone Jesus should have passed by. Out of all people, this is not someone Jesus, Jesus should have slowed down for. He should have ignored or especially not engaged with. And so if you're writing notes, again, no one is beyond God's hospitality. No one is beyond God's hospitality. And so the Bible says that Levi was a tax collector. So a tax collector in those days were hated people, hated people like the people who work for our student loans, right? <laughs> or people who work for IRS, right? I mean, yes, pay your taxes. Um, but 
Tax collectors were hated people, despised. Tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors, were seen as traitors, right? You were seen as a traitor because tax collectors worked for Rome. And Rome were a group of people, the nation that oppressed the Jews and exploited them and stole from them, stole their property, suppressed them. And if you were a tax collector, right, you got a percentage off of whatever work you did. And so what we know about Levi, Levi was a very successful tax collector, which means he helped exploit a lot of his own people. He helped extort and steal and rob and suppress a lot of his own people. And the worst thing about it, it seemed like Levi had no remorse because the Bible tells us that Levi had a booth that was in the public square in the middle of the city. And so Levi wasn't trying to hide who he was or what he did. And so people knew who Levi was and they knew about his action and they knew the harm that he caused his own community. And so that's why tax collector, and especially Levi, was seen as a great sinner and he was an outcast and he was hated by his own community. And so based on the social standards, Levi didn't deserve hospitality and especially didn't deserve hospitality from someone like Jesus. And so sometimes when we see people like Levi in our lives, we don't think they have a capacity to change because we see how Levi, right, didn't seem like he cared how he was hurting other people, right? When we see people who appear to be deeply involved in sin or stuck in a pattern, an unhealthy or immoral behaviors and seem to have no remorse or no conviction, sometimes we think those people don't deserve our time and sometimes those people don't deserve our prayer, right? Because we think they will never change. Because if we really believe they had the capacity to change, it would reflect in how we show hospitality to people like Levi. It would reflect on how we pray for them to change or how we engage with them or how we show love and compassion. Our actions, especially our prayer, reveals what we really believe about God's power to change people like Levi, right? And so some of us, listen, have dismissed people like Levi from our lives because we think that they are beyond God's hospitality and they are beyond our hospitality, right? So they don't deserve our time. They don't deserve our prayers or they don't deserve to be in a relationship with us or they don't deserve our forgiveness or they don't deserve our kindness. They don't deserve because we don't believe that they can change. And I think sometimes we really hope that they don't change because we really hope that they will face consequences, right? We really hope that they don't receive grace because we really hope that they receive 
justice. And so we hope transformation never really happens. I think in our hearts sometimes we think that way. And so in this story, we don't really know anything about Levi other than him being a tax collector and his actions as a trader, right? We don't know how Levi got into this type of life. We don't know what's keeping him. We don't know if Levi was trying to survive. We don't know if Levi was desperate. We don't know if Levi got caught up. All we see is Levi's actions. All we see are his choices. All we see are his behaviors. And listen, sometimes we define people by those things. We define people based on what we see, but we don't really know them, right? We define people by their choices, but we don't really know them. And we give up on them when we don't really know their story. And so I want to encourage you to take the time to get to know some people's story, the people that God has placed in your life, and not to define them based on their actions or their decisions or their behaviors, but take time to know and understand people's story before you pass them by or you pass judgment. It's very important that we practice empathy and grace, right? Because we all, listen, we all have a story. We all have a story, but you know what? Praise God that Jesus didn't pass us by. And not just that, but praise God someone didn't pass us by. Right? You and I, if you believe in Jesus, it's probably because someone was praying for you and someone was patient with you, someone was kind with you, someone loved you, had empathy for you, took the time to know your story, and didn't give up on you. And then we know ultimately God, Jesus, did the same as well. And so we want to encourage you to see hospitality like Jesus, right? To see hospitality like Jesus. Hospitality like Jesus challenges our tendency to write people off as irredeemable, right? It encourages us to see people through a lens of compassion and capacity to change. God can change even the most radical sinner. And so we shouldn't write people like that off. And so Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And we see Levi got up and he left everything to follow Jesus. And so I want you to write this down. The power to change is not in your religion. The power to change is in Jesus. The power to change is not in your religion, but the power to change is in Jesus. Jesus told Levi to follow me. And we see it didn't take much convincing for Levi to leave everything behind to follow Jesus without hesitation. Levi gave up his life. He left the tax booth. The Bible says he left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus told Levi, follow me, not follow a religion. He said, come to me and not come to live under a set of rules. Follow Jesus is not about following a religion. Following Jesus is about following his life. 
And so if you are pointing someone to Jesus, if you are pointing someone to Jesus, don't point them to your religion. Don't point them to your set of rules. Point them to the life of Jesus that is inside of you, right? That's the type of hospitality that we see that Jesus is showing. Follow my life. Come be with me. Come walk with me. Come sit with me. Come learn from me, right? So Levi was a Jewish man, which means that Levi was probably very religious as well. But we see how that didn't stop Levi from living that type of lifestyle. And so religion will not change our hearts. Religion may modify our behaviors, but religion will never transform, right? Because our hearts will never be transformed by a set of rules. Our hearts will be transformed by Jesus and only Jesus. And so we see how even though Levi was very religious, he still was living a particular lifestyle until he met Jesus. And then listen, even though Levi didn't really really know Jesus, but there was something about Jesus that was different from his religion. There was something about Jesus that was different than his religion. Right? And, and, and I want you to hear me. Though his religion may have had some truth, but truth without grace, truth is out, without grace crushes people. And so Levi was under a condemning religion, a religion that didn't understand, a religion that didn't show grace. Right? So truth without grace crushes people. Truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is being a jerk. Truth without grace is not loving. And that doesn't mean that Jesus, listen, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't call out Levi because we see how the Bible was very explicit about who Levi was. Levi was a sinner. Levi was a tax collector, right? And so that doesn't mean that the Bible is trying to sweep under the rug who who Levi was, right? But the Bible clearly tells us that Levi was a sinner, but Jesus gave him truth with grace, right? Religion is truth without grace, And truth without grace doesn't show empathy. Truth without grace doesn't try to understand. But Jesus is truth embodied, right? What that means is in the incarnation, Jesus who is truth, he stepped into our world to understand us, to understand us, to understand us in our struggle, to connect with our experience, So God took on this flesh, the truth became flesh to understand us in our weakness, right? So God sought to understand us, to meet us where we are, to show empathy, to show grace. And that is the difference between religion and Jesus. 
And that is the type of hospitality that Jesus wants us to show, not just to give truth, but to give truth with grace and understanding, to connect, to walk people in their weakness, with people in their weakness, right? And so I think this is why Levi was so eager to follow Jesus, right, than to follow religion or people that didn't understand him. And so Levi was a miracle waiting to happen, only if someone invited him, right? And Jesus invited him. And so we see how there is no one that is irredeemable to Jesus. No one is too far gone. No one is too broken. No one is too sinful that Jesus wouldn't extend this type of invitation to, right? To follow him and to experience the miracle that can take place in our lives, right? Verse 29, the Bible says right after that, Levi hosted, he meets Jesus, he has this encounter with Jesus, he leaves everything behind, and then we see in verse 29, Levi hosted a grand banquet, a grand dinner for Jesus at his house, And now the Bible says, now there was a large group of tax collector and others who were reclining at the table with them. But then the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Right? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, who are the people eating with you? Who are the people sitting at your tables? Who are the people eating with you? And so when I think about the scene, I think about LeBron James, right? <laughs> uh, he's not my favorite, actually. Um, I don't think he's the best. Uh, but LeBron James, um, very successful. And so when we know about what we know about his story, uh, when LeBron James became successful, he brought along um, some of his close friends. Um, four or five of his close friends to manage his build, uh, business. And so every single one of his friends, he gave them a job and they all became very successful, right? And so LeBron's success, as LeBron's success grew, his friend's success grew as well. And so he brought them to the seat of the table to eat with him because he wanted his friends the people that he grew up in poverty with, right? To come out of that life of poverty and to, to taste prosperity. He invited them to the seat of his table to eat with him. And so listen, Levi had tasted goodness from Jesus. He tasted goodness from Jesus, the goodness of his grace, the goodness of his acceptance, the goodness of his love, the goodness of his transformation. And so we see this compelled Levi to throw a party to celebrate Jesus at his house to invite friends who have similar experience and background, tax collectors and sinners, to experience Jesus too, to sit at the table around Jesus to experience who changed his life, the person who changed his life. 
He invited all the unwanted people like him. And then he also invited the religious people as well to his house. And so his house became a powerful place to break down barriers. Right? So your home can be your mission field. Your spaces could be your mission field. The time that you create can be your mission field. So Levi uses home to honor people, right, that normally wouldn't be honored anywhere else. Levi uses home to accept people that normally wouldn't feel accepted anywhere else. Levi uses home to be a safe place for people who normally wouldn't feel safe anywhere else But at the same time, Jesus was in the center. Jesus was the main focus, right? Because what Levi wanted people to see, he wanted people to see a different side of Jesus than how religion presented him. That Jesus was reclining, right? Reclining next to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all type of sinners. And they felt accepted. They felt welcomed. They didn't feel judged. They didn't feel uncomfortable. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus condoned who they were, but he just didn't condemn them. And they felt uncomfortable or comfortable to be around Jesus because he was relatable. He was relatable. Not a person who is distant, but a person that they can draw near to, a person who can understand them on a personal level, a person that they can see, laugh, and joke, and talk, and eat, and laugh, and listen, right? To break down those barriers. But now, now notice who was angry. The religious people. The religious people were the one who were angry because they thought that Jesus shouldn't be showing such behavior to sinners, that sinners should feel uncomfortable around you. You're the holy one. Sinners should feel condemned. Sinners should feel judged. But we see how these sinners reclined next to Jesus. But the ones who were angry were the religious one, and they said to Jesus, why do you sit like that? And why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And throughout the Bible, oftentimes we see how Jesus is being criticized for the way that he interact with sinners, right? In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus says, right, the son of man has come to eat and drink. They were calling Jesus a drunkard, They were calling Jesus a glutton because he was constantly in someone's home eating and drinking, constantly being with sinners and tax collectors. And I'm like, man, you are drunk because every time I see you, you're drinking. Every time I see you, you're eating. And you also eat. You are a friend of sinners, they call Jesus. Luke chapter 15. Again, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes says, This man receives sinners and he eats with them, right? Jesus built this reputation of being 
relatable even to those who don't believe, being welcoming, being inviting even to those who don't believe. And man, one of the most scandalous scene that we see even in the Bible of how Jesus interact with unbelievers is in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 38. And I'm going to read this in the Living Translation. When I read this in the Living Translation, I was like, huh, this is interesting, right? It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home to, for lunch, and Jesus accepted this invitation. As they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets She's for the streets. It says, I'm reading it. A prostitute, it says, a woman of the street, a prostitute, heard he was there and brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. And going in, she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping with her tears falling down upon his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair and kissed his feet and poured the perfume on them. Can you imagine that scene? Like you're in that room and you see a woman who is viewed as a prostitute getting so close like this to Jesus, touching him kissing his feet. Can you imagine if you came to my house and you saw that? You would probably fire me. I'm just saying, you would probably fire me. You're like, yo, what? You know? This is is crazy, outrageous that Jesus allowed sinners to get so close to him. And this is who we are. We are for the streets. We are just like that. We are sinners like that. That Jesus says, draw near to me. Draw near to me and I won't condemn you. And I won't push you away. Religious people are asking, why would you do that? Send her off. But Jesus says, I welcome. I welcome even the greatest sinners. People like that were invited by Jesus. And this is why Jesus says in verse 31 and 32, listen, it is not those who are healthy who need doctors, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, if there are no sick people in the world, if you're a doctor, you would not have a job. You have a job because there are sick people. There's a hospital because there are sick people. We need hospice because we need to care for people. If there are no sick people in the world, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need Jesus. If there are no sick people in the world, we wouldn't need the church, right? The church is a place for those who are spiritually sick to go to to meet our great physician who can heal our brokenness. And Jesus says, this is not what I came to do. 
just to come for those who are righteous. No, my mission is to call those who are broken and those who are sick to come and be with me. My goal is not to keep them out. And especially when we think about the church, the church is not a place where we keep out those who are sick. The church is not a country club. The church is a hospital where we have members only. But no, this is a place where we invite people who are on the outside to come in. And so Jesus says, that is not who I am. This is not what I'm trying to do. The world needs me. The world needs you. The world needs your home. The world needs your space. The world needs your time. Your home, your spaces can be a sanctuary for those who are far off. Your home and your spaces is the hospital for the sick. Listen, the word hospitality and the word hospital are two similar words. Two similar words, right, that are very related because both words refer to creating an environment where outsiders, strangers, and guests, and the sick could find shelter and care, right? And so what Jesus is saying The type of hospitality that we are to be known for in our church, in our homes, in our spaces, in our lives is just like that, where we are inviting people to meet the great physician who can heal our soul and heal our brokenness and radically change our lives for them to be a miracle. This is the miracle about Levi. And this is why Levi is included in chapter five. Someone who all of society think that you are no longer a part of community or you will never change or there is no hope for you. Jesus sees an opportunity to make Levi's life a miracle the same way that we are a miracle, right? And so God has demonstrated this extreme hospitality towards Levi and towards us, and it should compel us to do the same, to do the same for others. And so your home, your space, your life are the sanctuary where we can invite people in. Not the four walls of the church. Yes, it's good to invite people to be a part of the church. But the church is not the physical building. The church is the people of God. And so when we invite people to the church, we are inviting them to our lives, into our lives, into a relationship with us so that they can meet Jesus. And so our goal is not just to invite people here to this physical building, but our goal is to make room in our lives so that the people who are far off and the people who are sick, people who are outsiders, people like Levi who need Jesus could find a place of rest, could find a place where they can meet the physician who radically changed our lives, who opened his table for us to experience his goodness. And so we do the same for them.
just like he did for us. I want to pray for us, and then we are going to transition to a time of communion. Father, I thank you so much for our time today. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who don't know who you are, Jesus, and who has not experienced the radical hospitality that you have demonstrated to um, Levi um, on your cross, you gave up everything to invite us to be with you. I pray that if there's people here who don't know this amazing grace, today would be the day that you do a miracle in their life, that you would open their blind eyes to give life to our dead hearts and to awaken our spirit so that we can see that you are good and that we desire to pursue you and not only to keep it to ourselves, but we let the world know. And just like my sister who um, shared about her dad, Lord, that is what we desire, that we open up our lives so that people will see the transformation that you have made in us and that they would want that as well. And so I pray that we live a life like that at our jobs. We live a life like that with our friends. We live a life like that with our communities and whoever that you place on our path, that we are not too busy or too quick to stop and to engage and to let them see what you have to offer. So we thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So right now I want to invite our host team to come up and we're going to... Go ahead and and take some time to have communion. And so um, before we have communion, I just want to share, communion is a time where we remember the hospitality that we've received from Jesus and that Jesus came from heaven, entered into our world to understand our brokenness, to die for us, to meet our physical and spiritual need, and to invite us into a relationship with him. And not just that, but he says to make a room for us one day to dwell with him forever. And so if you are here and you have not accepted Jesus, rather than taking communion, we want you to pause and use the time to reflect on Jesus and to take Jesus instead. And think about how communion was instituted. This happened in a home. Jesus was in the home with the disciples, and this is where he taught them about communion. And you see how important it is to invite people into your home because this is where we get to truly experience community and love and grace and make him known, right? And so don't forsake or don't neglect or don't underestimate the power of inviting people into your home or into your space to know Jesus. And so I want to give you some time as you reflect, and then I'll come back and lead us. Father, again, I want to pray over all of us as we 
remember you during this time of communion. I pray and remember what you have done for us and not just only for us, what you have done for the world, what you have done for the world. You have saved us, not just for us to experience the salvation personally or individually, but you have saved us to be a part of your greater plan and to be a part of your greater mission. And you have invited us to be a part of the redemptive work that you're doing to bring people. You are about people to bring people into your kingdom. And we are a part of that. I pray that we don't neglect that. I pray that we don't forsake that in our lives because you are about people, not just individuals. You want people, you want to reclaim your glory and your image and the life of people. And we get to be a part of that. So I pray we remember that. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.